is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, once described by poet Ralph Waldo Emerson as, quote, a grotesque place of land speculators and desperados. Impeachment fever is sweeping our nation's capital, and Florida Republicans are trying to figure out how to deal with the mess. Panhandle Congressman Matt Gates is playing defense, but he thinks House Democrats will impeach Donald Trump by Thanksgiving. Speaking of the president, a Florida man who used to run the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the State Division of Emergency Management gives us his take on Sharpiegate. Craig Fugate says it was a simple mistake that should have been corrected instead of trying to make forecasters cover for the president's gaffe. A Florida veteran who was laid to rest last week died without any family, or so the word went out on social media. Thousands showed up. But it turns out Ed Pearson had two sons, and there's a reason they didn't attend. They thought he was dead. We'll also check out your calendar of events for the day and close with our traditional story about the ongoing adventures of Florida Man, but this time something truly unique. Florida Man does something good. Not just good, but something historic. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, October 7th. One of the president's most ardent supporters in Congress is predicting Donald Trump will probably face articles of impeachment within a matter of weeks. Republican Representative Matt Gaetz of Fort Walton Beach says it's a sad reality that Democrats will impeach the president before Thanksgiving. Democrats are targeting Trump over phone calls to foreign leaders and efforts to get them to investigate Democratic rival and former Vice President Joe Biden. Congressman Gates claims the president did nothing wrong. He claims the impeachment process in the House of Representatives is a politically illegitimate exercise. After 40 years of covering the circus known as Florida politics, one tends to get a bit jaded and cynical. But every once in a while, you run across a public servant who really is there to serve the public. Craig Fugate is one of those people. We first met when he was hired by Governor Lawton Childs as Deputy Director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management back in the 90s. When Jeb Bush became Governor, Fugate became Division Director. And after the unrelenting string of hurricanes that hit the state in 2004 and 2005, he earned the nickname Master of Disaster. Fugate stayed on the job when Charlie Crist became governor in 2007, but he left in 2009 when President Barack Obama picked him to run the Federal Emergency Management Agency. He served through both of Obama's terms and resigned shortly after Donald Trump took over in 2017. Fugate was in Tallahassee last week to talk about rebuilding in the panhandle after Hurricane Michael, so it gave us the opportunity to get his take on what has become known as Sharpiegate. I thought it was pretty much amateur hour. Um, It is not uncommon when you brief senior leadership, I have briefed governors and presidents, that something comes out wrong and it's a misstatement. It wasn't intentional, it wasn't misleading, just got something in their head, said something, wasn't factual. Press shop would normally issue, and you were in the press corps, you would get those notices that say, hey, Governor Bush said this, but this is what he really meant. It wasn't a non-story, you just corrected the edit. It wasn't intentional, it wasn't misleading. So if you, and again, Early on, you got to remember, when they had Dorian crossing in the Gulf of Mexico, they were talking about these things. I think it just got stuck in the president's head, and so he mentions it. And it would have been an easy thing to correct. Press shop could just said, uh, you know, the president was just, he was remembering a last briefing. He knows that they're no longer in the threat and go on. Then the fact that you're now arguing that the forecast isn't right or that they shouldn't have spoke. That's more troublesome because the Weather Service doesn't deal with policy. They deal with facts and forecasts. And now to have political leadership begin talking about what the forecasts are means, well, what if I don't like the fact it's going to be a rainy day tomorrow? I'm going to say, I'm going to tweet that it's not going to rain tomorrow? So it's, a, it's kind of a, it should have been a non-issue. It should have been, 
uh, 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 basically press shot puts out a correction and said the president was just going from his last briefing and he just said that, but we know it's not involved and it had been done. Do you recall anything like this during your previous career? No, and I work for Governor Childs, Governor Bush, Governor Chris, President Obama. How about the Weather Service? Was this a proud moment for them? I think it closed ranks with the Weather Service and TV and private sector meteorologists because while they are oftentimes all doing weather forecasting, sometimes in a competitive environment, they're all first and foremost meteorologists and they saw this attack on their entire profession. So if anything, it brought the meteorologists both in the weather service but in the private sector together. And this isn't a partisan issue as much as we cannot confuse opinions with the forecasts that come from the weather service because they're used to make life or death decisions. And the minute we start now suggesting that the confidence in those products uh, may be subject to well, what somebody believes versus what they are seeing, we got a problem. A couple of fun facts about Fugate. He's a kayaking fanatic and always used to keep a boat strapped to the top of his vehicle just in case he had the chance to paddle. He's also the guy who invented the Waffle House Index to figure out just how much help an area needs after a hurricane. His theory is that if a Waffle House is open, there's really no need for emergency assistance just yet. If the Waffle House is damaged but serving a limited menu, then the community needs help. And if the Waffle House is closed, the situation is really bad and needs the most attention from disaster responders. Remember that heartwarming story last week about 4,000 Floridians who showed up at the funeral of a military veteran in Sarasota because he didn't have any relatives? Turns out he did, and the funeral home knew but chose not to reveal the truth because that would spoil the feel-good narrative. 80-year-old Edward Pearson actually had two sons, Ed Jr., who works in Pensacola, and his younger brother James. They've been estranged from dad ever since he cheated on their mom and abandoned the family when the boys were teenagers. They were later told by Pearson's second wife that he had died years ago and only found out the truth when his funeral notice went viral on social media. Now, if this story tells us anything, it's about the importance of newspapers and local reporters. While the social media peddled a false narrative and national outlets were repeating it without question, reporter Chris Anderson at the Sarasota Herald Tribune uncovered the truth. Well done, sir. Next up on Sunrise, Americans for Prosperity. Just what the heck is this group all about and what are their priorities for the upcoming legislative session? We have the director of the Florida program. Tell us your name and tell us why you should be here. Rick, it's great to be here in the studio with you, a Florida politics radio legend, and uh, we're enjoying some honey and uh, can't wait to, to try some more later. Um, but uh, I'm Skylar Zander. I'm the state director for Americans for Prosperity, and uh, our organization exists to break barriers for Floridians all across the state. And so we're going to focus on public policy all across Florida, both local and state and uh, even federal, that focuses on breaking barriers for, for all Floridians. What sort of barriers are we talking about, Skyler? Well, look, you know, Florida voters made it clear that uh, last election cycle, health care was their top priority. And uh, you saw last year us uh, standing strong with Speaker Jose Oliva for pushing for certificate of need reform. Uh, it's incredibly important to make sure that people have access to hospital and medical facilities. Uh, we've also seen it lower cost across the country and other states. And in fact, in Texas, as soon as they repealed certificate of need, it, it, it helped Floridians. And so we're gonna continue to focus on healthcare reforms. Uh, scope of practice will be at the top of our, uh, at the top of our ticket going into next year. The scope of practice meaning? that we want uh, folks to be able to uh, advance and practice medicine based on what they learned in school, based on uh, what they've learned 
uh, we need to make sure that they can uh, use everything uh, in order to make sure that patients have more access. Because really, at the end of the day, it's about access to healthcare that's going to uh, unleash uh, potential for folks. I got you. Now, of course, the organization itself is is more better known in the capital, more better known. How's that for grammar? Huh? <laughs> As for work killing off you know, opposing incentives. Yes. Corporate incentives, especially for the film industry. Yeah. Why is that a priority? Well, for us, it's it, it's simple. We think that uh, we shouldn't be giving money to businesses across the board. Um, we, we believe in broad-based tax cuts across the board in, in the same way. Uh, we want to make sure that as Florida continues to be able to compete, we don't believe in taking money from existing businesses that are already here in Florida competing and then giving it to other people to come in uh, and compete in the marketplace. We want to make sure that there's a flat level, even playing field for everybody and for every business to thrive. And so when it comes to either film incentives or sports incentives or um, Governor Scott a few years ago was asking for $85 million for a cash incentive program uh, where I think we get we made our biggest claim uh, and, and put the biggest line in the sand on incentives. Um, it, it's because we want Floridians to have their money and we want the proper goal, role of government not to be government being a piggy bank. I got you. Yeah. On, on that topic, you know, the state does spend a lot of money every year for the insurance industry, actually yeah. subsidizing salaries to try to get those jobs here in the state. And it, last I heard it was about $240 million a year we're spending on that. Yeah, and, and I'm not an insurance expert. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. That's a that's a frame that I'm not in. But from our standpoint, we, we want more money in taxpayers' pockets. We want to make sure that uh, we're, we're making sure that people are able to thrive by having low regulation, low taxes, um, and also making sure that we have a fair, equitable system in place for people to compete. I guess with that philosophy, you must feel right at home in the Florida legislature these days. <laughs> it feels fantastic. It's great. <laughs> They're hardworking members. We're very fortunate in Florida. I mean, you see... Uh, big hedge funds leaving New York all the time. You see uh, big stockbrokers. I think one was announced that he's moving to Miami because of the fact that he's getting taxed too much. And so uh, being able to draw the new financial markets uh, down to Florida has, has been able to uh, unleash potential in Florida that we haven't seen before. Okay. And of course, Americans for Prosperity, it's, it's the classic left-wing boogeyman, you know, funded by the Coke <laughs> Industries, part of the so-called vast right-wing conspiracy. How are things going on the right-wing conspiracy these days? Yeah, so for us, um, uh, you know, we have thousands of, dollar, thousands of donors across the country, and so uh, we're just fortunate that um, we were founded by Charles and David Koch, which um, obviously get the greatest deal of, of, of threat threats because of those two individuals who are part of our organization. Right. But really, they've been philanthropic leaders across across the country and across the world. I mean, David Koch just passed away um, uh, recently. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of credit is not given to the, some of their other philanthropic um, uh, adventures, like millions of dollars in the cancer research, etc. And so, um, look, I, I think we're surprising people. We've expanded the issue set that we're involved in. Um, criminal justice reform is one that um, I think has taken a lot of people by surprise that we're very heavily engaged in criminal justice reform because we believe that that's a huge barrier for folks. We want to make sure that people are able to come out and they're able to work. And, and the fact is 90 something percent of folks are going to come back out of prison uh, into general population. And so we have to make sure that those people are equipped um, and have the incentives in place to be successful when they come out. And that's important. Why do you think it's taken so long for lawmakers to realize that the prison system we have now, really, it, it's not sustainable? Yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's tough, right? It, it's tough politically to be the guy that says we should let people out. 
it, it's it's you know uh, it, it's especially when you have uh, Florida that's been red for a long time. Um, it, it's not popular to say we should we should give people second chances. Um, it you know from the '90s it was very popular. Hey, let's lock, lock them up them and up. throw away yeah. the key, and uh, they don't deserve to come back. And so. You know, that the case is, like I said earlier, 90-something percent of people are coming back. I just don't think many people realize the fact that these people are reentering society. And we're a country that was founded on second chances. Uh, that, that's the beauty of our country. And the most conservative, most um, – if you're a conservative or you're a Republican or anybody on the political right spectrum, the most important thing that we value is freedom. And so the last thing we should want to do is take away somebody free, somebody's freedom – unless they really did something to deserve their freedoms to be taken away from them. And I think we've gotten away from that. I think we've gotten uh, away. We've gotten to a point where we have a, uh, a, a blanketed system uh, instead of looking at the individuals. And so uh, we need to, we need to rework that when it comes to sentencing and we need to, we need to give judicial discretion. We need to start looking at things to that make more sense and are softer on taxpayers pockets. I got you. Now, from your perspective, I mean, I've noticed a lot of changes in the legislature. They're, they seem to be getting more socially progressive, while at the same time maintaining their financial conservative ties. Is, is something fundamentally going on? I mean, they would never have dealt with marijuana before. They would never have dealt with criminal justice reform. It's, is something happening? I think you're starting to see... I think you're starting to see the country change, right? The conversations across the country are changing. And I, I think we're starting to study and get more data on some of these things, right? Like criminal justice reform may be seen to some folks as, as a social justice type of um, issue set or something. But really, it's, it's, uh, it's the modern day, um, it, I, I don't want to say it's modern day slavery, but we're, we're, well, getting, to, we're getting to a point where uh, we, we, we're not looking at people as individuals. We're looking at them holistically in the system. And, and we're also using them as you know, un, unskilled, unpaid labor in many cases. Correct. It, it, has, correct. it has become the equivalent of a chain gang without the chains. That's correct. And so um, I, I think you're starting to see the social impacts of that. And I, I think people are paying more attention now. And that's the importance of it. Um, I also think that um, as far as marijuana concerns, I, I, I don't think that um, we've seen and, and, and trust me, AFP doesn't get involved in the marijuana conversation. But um, I, I just think you see the some of the benefits coming forward uh, from marijuana. And I think that uh, the legislature is studying this and it's clear that that's what voters want. They want more access to things that will make health care better. And so uh, I think from a marijuana standpoint, I think Floridians really care about the healthcare aspect of marijuana. I get you. Now, do you have a, a certain hit list of issues that are on your agenda for the upcoming session? Yeah. So for us, um, again, sentencing, we just talked about right. that, is, is, is going to be important, making sure that we're, we don't have a, a blanketed, uh, one-size-fits-all um, decision when it comes to sentencing somebody, I think is, is, uh, is something that's failed us, and, and the data proves it that we currently have. I think additionally, um, incentives will always be at the top of our list. Uh, obviously, that's where uh, we really came into the fold here in Florida. Uh, healthcare, uh, we had a great deal of success with certificate of need reform uh, and some of the other uh, telehealth and some of the other initiatives that came out of the legislature. And uh, we're going to continue to grind away at stuff like education. You know, that's something else that I think we're not really known for, but uh, we've been playing behind the scenes for years in education. And uh, really, we're at a point where you know, you can customize everything in your life, but you can't customize education. 
And, and so for us and in, in our standpoint, uh, education needs to be customized more so people can adapt and learn better. And so you'll see us come out with making sure that there's greater access for, for every individual to get the education that they deserve and that they need. Is that code word for vouchers and charter schools? Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely code word for, for vouchers, charter schools, uh, scholarships. You know, um, I, the, the scary part is uh, the word voucher has gotten such a negative connotation. It's gotten such a negative name for itself. Um, well, they did try to change it to scholarship, but it didn't quite. <laughs> well, it hasn't quite. It, it hasn't sticken yet. But really, um, 80 percent of Floridians, it's around 80 percent of uh of young Floridians and young families take advantage of Florida, um, uh, the VPK program in right. Florida. Voluntary pre-K. And so th- it's the same exact thing. Why we argue and say that VPK is fantastic and people are taking part in VPK programs, we're not doing it for, for, uh, for, for higher grades. And so from our standpoint, we need to give more opportunity for folks to be able to take advantage of school options just like we do in the VPK programs. I got it. I always close interviews by asking, is there something I should have asked that I didn't ask <laughs> or something you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Well, for those listeners who are listening in, uh, Rick uh, made the question earlier if I've ever seen my Monty Python. And I, I have to say I ruined a segment of this show because I am one of the few people that has not seen Monty Python. So um, that is a question that I think the listener should should probably be interested in. That's a terrible shame, by the way. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being with us today, Skyler. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Today is a busy day in Florida politics. Florida's Blue-Green Algae Task Force meets in Alachua County at the U of F Law School. That starts at 8 o'clock. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle hears arguments over a law passed this spring to carry out last year's constitutional amendment, restoring voting rights to felons who've completed the terms of their sentences. Opponents claim the law is unconstitutional and overly restrictive. The hearing at the federal courthouse in Tallahassee begins at 9. Voting rights groups will hold a rally outside the courthouse at 1130. Congresswoman Lois Frankel holds a roundtable discussion with child care providers today. That starts at 2.30 at Palm Beach State College in West Palm Beach. The State Department of Education will start a listening tour about new academic standards for public schools. It starts at 5.30 this afternoon at Sebring Middle School in Sebring. The Polk County Legislative Delegation meets today as it preps for the 2020 session. They'll get started at 1 p.m. at Polk State College in Winter Haven. The Escambia County Delegation is doing the very same thing, but they'll be at Pensacola State College beginning at 5.30 Central Time. And State Representative Cindy Polo of Miramar is hosting a town hall meeting tonight at Florida International University. That begins at 7. And last but not least, our daily tribute to Florida Man, who once in a blue moon does something to make us all proud. 63-year-old Bruce Campbell lives in Loxahatchee now, but back in the 1990s, he bought an old log cabin on Long Island, New York, and in the basement was a treasure trove of recordings made during World War II on a machine called Record Graph. Eventually, he had to fly to England to find a device that could play the old-fashioned tapes, but it was worth it. One of those recordings was made by war correspondent George Hicks, who was embedded on a Navy communication ship during the D-Day invasion. The sound you're about to hear begins with anti-aircraft fire off the coast of Normandy. The date was June 6, 1944. There we go. They got one. They got one. They got that one. They got it right here. Did we? Yeah. This one? 
great blotch of fire came down in the smoldering now, just off our port side in the sea. Smoke and flame there. You can hear the rest of the audio on SoundCloud. The Library of Congress and the Imperial War Museum in the UK both wanted those tapes, but Campbell decided they should go to the National D-Day Memorial in Beckham, Virginia. The donation includes recordings of all of George Hicks's reports, plus recordings of other legendary World War II correspondents, including Edward R. Murrow. Never thought I would actually say this, but well done, Florida man. Well done. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. Back tomorrow with a brand new episode. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics.